as I mentioned last week, when we were talking about this idea on Jesus, ultimately talking about this idea of being a giving people and what it means for us to, to give generously and sacrificially, I mentioned to you guys that, and several of you guys know my parents, they show up here to, uh, to mission every so often when they're not going to their church or to surprise us or see their grandkids or something. And so uh, many of you guys know my parents, but I grew up in a you know, middle-class working family, and yet I can remember one of my favorite memories as a family, and maybe one of the reasons why I like movies and eating out so much, is as a family, that was kind of the, what we did. Uh, we didn't um, do a lot of other things, uh, but that was something that we all did together. There was something about my family's eating a meal together, something about spending time together. And kind of, I can remember those exciting times that my parents wouldn't let us know what was happening. And they would say, okay, we want everybody to get ready. We're driving up to Bowling Green. We're going to watch a movie and we're going out to eat. And so I enjoyed spending that time with them. But from the time that I was a, an elementary-aged child, my dad uh, would take us to these restaurants, and he would sit us down, and he would say in these restaurants, um, Son, you can get whatever you want for dinner. And he meant that. And so while other kids were eating you know, uh, off the kids' menu, I was having steak and lobster, and crab legs, and shrimp, and all these sorts of things. Because my dad, his mentality was, is that if you can't go to a restaurant and get what you want, then you shouldn't be eating at that restaurant. Okay? And even, so as a child, that's created a bad habit in me, um, because he has bled into me this idea that if it's the most expensive thing on the menu, then that's probably the best thing they offer. I mean, it, it makes sense, but... I've grown up um, cooking a lot with my mom in the kitchen, and as a, as a middle-aged man, um, I've learned to really enjoy that. Um, from the time I went to college to even now, a lot of times you can find Laura and I on the weekends, especially um, cooking together in our home. I do primarily all, or not all of it, but a lot of the cooking, most of the cooking inside of our house, not merely as a chore. Doing dishes, that's a chore. Vacuuming, that is a chore. Cooking is enjoyment, okay? And so we enjoy this. One of the things I love about spring, we've got like, maybe it's going to hit the 70s tomorrow. Can I get an amen? Amen, all right? We're looking forward to getting warm, and, and the spring and the summer and the fall are some of my favorite times because I love to have people at my house. I love to cook for people. I love the smell of a grill and kids playing in the, in the yard and cornhole and all that stuff. I love to be around people. There is something about eating a meal with people that has a, a tendency um, to create community. I mean, think about our culture. A lot of, of what we do as um, family, as a lot of what we do as friends, is around a cup of coffee or a meal with people. And you know what? I don't think that that's a bad thing. I actually think that it's a very biblical thing to do. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about having you to my house. I'm, I'm excited about the opportunities I have to, to eat with my brothers and sisters in Christ and the people of Mission Church. We can even trace this idea through the Scripture. I mean, isn't it interesting that in the book of Genesis, God says to Adam and Eve, guess what? You can eat anything, anything in this garden. You just can't eat that. 
I mean, isn't isn't it crazy? Like, God's number one thing, the thing that broke our lives and this world, wasn't that um, it wasn't child abuse, um, it, it wasn't some sexual sin, it wasn't murder, it was the eating of a fruit that God says not to eat. If we travel through the Old Testament, we can see time and time and time and time and time again um, meals that people are having. Even God ordained saying, eat this, like this, cook it this way. Anybody reading through the year, the Bible in a year? I mean, you learn a lot about food and, and even them offering food to God, like cooked meals. And, and the Bible even says that it was a pleasing aroma. I'm reading through Numbers is where I'm, I'm in Numbers right now. I just finished Numbers. But there would be these opportunities where they would give these food sacrifices. And the Bible would say the, the aroma of the food was pleasant to God. It was a food offering to God. Isn't, isn't that interesting? We see the institution of the Passover, right? The, the wrath of God is going to pass over these homes who are covered in the blood of the Lamb. But in that, he says, this is what you're supposed to eat. This is how you're supposed to do it. We get to the New Testament. Jesus is making some fish and chips on the beach, right? He, he serves communion with people. He's, he's partaking in the Passover feast. He is hanging out with others while they eat. Again, in Luke chapter 14, we see Jesus at a party. And I'm so thankful that we have glimpses of that. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, some of the crazy parties that we offer in our culture today. But we see Jesus at these gatherings. We see Jesus engaging life, enjoying probably a good meal, probably a good cup of Welch's. I mean, we see these things taking place in the life of Jesus. And when we peer into Luke chapter 14 today, we're seeing Jesus once again at a dinner table surrounded by people. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus at a dinner table, but he was, he was eating with tax collectors and, and prostitutes and sinners. Um, this is very different. At this party, at this meal, at this dinner, Jesus is sitting down with the Pharisees. He is sitting down with the religious leaders of the time. These people knew their Bibles. I mean, they had like the veggie tales memorized, folks. I mean, these were hardcore people who knew their stuff. They wore Christian robes. I mean, the whole bit. They had it down. They had Christian knees down. They probably had every Beth Moore Bible study. I mean, these, these people knew their stuff. And Jesus is sitting down with these people on a Sabbath, which would have probably been a, a Saturday at some point or a Friday evening. And he's been invited to one of their homes, and he is having this meal with these guys. And so it, it, the Bible tells us there earlier in chapter 14 that it, he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. So this is like the upper crust of, of the religious hierarchy and Jesus is having a meal. Now at these meals, if you've seen the Lord's Supper, that famous painting and they're all sitting there all polished with makeup half of them look like women and if you've read the da vinci code they believe that one of them was um but that's not true okay that's not the picture that we see in early judaism 
Um, a meal, typically low-lying table, the men were probably resting on their, I think it's their left elbow because you do something with the left hand and you're in the bathroom, and so you should never eat with that hand. You never shake with that hand, um, and you eat with the right, all right? So they're sitting reclined at the table eating this meal. Table fellowship is taking place, and then something happens as they are watching Jesus very carefully, they're putting on this front that, hey, we're eating with this guy, but we don't like him. We can't stand him. We're watching after him. We're even hoping to catch him in this moment doing something that he is not supposed to be doing so that we can have him killed, tried, whatever, um, on this day. So they're watching Jesus. It's kind of this whole idea of, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer is taking place, and luckily this side of the resurrection, we, we get to see all of this from a different lens because we know what's going to happen and what has happened. So while they're sitting there on the Sabbath, and remember, you don't do anything on the Sabbath, um, we kind of get this picture that there's a plant. Like they brought in a sick man that the Bible said has dropsy. It's kind of a, another word for edema or um, it, it has to do with collecting fluid around your body because you are, are really ill. It's, it's what my mom um, is battling right now. She has congestive heart failure and so your body builds up with these fluids typically around your ankles. It's a very, very bad thing. If you watch um, basketball and you, in the last few weeks, a, a basketball player, Anthony Mason, he died of congestive heart failure. I mean, this is an extremely serious situation. And they kind of plant this guy to go, okay, is Jesus going to do work here on the Sabbath? Is this lawful for him to do it? And what does Jesus do? He heals the man, kind of sends him on his way. And so things begin to get really uncomfortable. Jesus has watched all of these men. If you were, had time, if we had time today, we would read it. Um, in the earlier section here of verse 7 through 11, Jesus tells a parable there as well. As he kind of begins to see that these people are, are not reacting well to this, he has watched all of this unfold. And if you can imagine that um, what he has just seen is at this, that when they said it was time for dinner, that all of these religious men these were kind of pushing and shoving like kids in an elementary school trying to get to the slide first to decide where they were going to sit. Because in Judaism, where you sit at the table revealed something about your social status. The person in the middle was typically the host, and then from there had something to do with your role or your presence um, and your notoriety even within those group of people. It's interesting looking forward to the Last Supper. It appears as though, you know, we've got like Peter is really close, John is really close, and Judas is really close. They were sitting in the places of honor. And so we see this picture that Jesus is saying, and he begins to say this at the beginning of this meal. He tells them, don't fight over position. And so he tells this parable about the need or the wedding feast and the need for people to be humble and allowing others to sit in the best places. And then we get to what we are addressing here today. Remember, parables have the tendency to cause the rebellious to come to Jesus. 
But they have the tendency to make the religious very angry and upset. We often use the analogy that the gospel, Jesus, theology, have a tendency to either cause us to push in, to lean in to the table like, now I don't understand everything, but I'm going to push into this. Or, as we've seen, it has a tendency to cause people to push away from the table. You would think after talking about these things and causing this kind of awkward moment at the dinner table, that that would be enough for Jesus. But it wasn't. Jesus, in our passage that we read today, then addresses who? He addressed the host of the party. Let's look at that passage here again. Verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So do you get that awkwardness that's taking place here? He's at a dinner party. Like he's at your house. You don't disrespect me. This is my house, right? I mean, that's the mentality that we have. And Jesus is sitting there, and he's just on a parable. He's like, y'all need to quit fighting over these seats. You look ridiculous. If you don't know what it's really like to be in the kingdom of God, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Give up your spot. Walk in humility. Do not walk in pride. And yet he doesn't stop there. Then he goes, hey, when you have a party like this, don't invite these people. Don't invite the wealthy. Don't just invite your friends. Don't just invite your relatives. Don't just invite these people that are going to help you to be benefited by what's going on. Jesus straightforwardly tells the host, when you have a party, this isn't who should be here. Not people of this, the same wealth, same intelligence, or same social status. Don't just invite people that are going to help you move up in the world. Anybody else remember that awkward moment in middle school, or maybe you all were all the cool kids, I don't know. Um, that, that moment in middle school or high school, when you kind of, you're standing in line to get what they call a baked potato, what they call a piece of meat, all right, but none of us really know what it is, and, and you kind of come through there first day freshman year of high school, and, and you're kind of standing there. You haven't seen most of these people for an entire summer, right? And you kind of walk through the line, and you're like, where do I sit? Where do I sit? Or that awkward moment where you try to weasel your way into where the cool kids did sit, and they made it completely obvious, like most of the teenage movies that are out there, that you don't belong there. Or maybe you were the cool kid and the weirdo kid, all right, who plays Pokemon, and he's in high school, all right, collects action figures, sits down next to you. He's the kid that's allergic to everything. And you're like, man, this guy is not cool. This is messing with my scene. See, some of y'all laughing because y'all are those mean kids. Yep. All right, so that's, what, that's what's kind of taking place. It is this major awkward. Jesus is saying, man, where are those people? 
Where are the outcast? Where are the broken? Where are the bruised? Where are they in this place? See, um, the, the thing is, is inviting people that will only benefit you is a type and form of legalism. Jesus is saying, throw the party for the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Jesus concludes this statement by saying, if you do this, then you will be repaid when? At the final resurrection. At the return of Jesus, when he restores all things, if you have spent your time and your moments eating with people who, who on this earth would be considered less than, people who are, are broken of different races and social classes, then you will see a reward, not on this earth, but in the, the resurrection life that is to come in eternal life. When we are reconciled with God, you will be greatly blessed. You know, imagine going to a party, the, the party, you know? It's also the, the classic TV, classic movie where the parents are going away, right? And they say, now don't throw a party. And what, what does every kid do? They throw a party, all right? And before you know it, everybody's drunk, half naked, running around all over the neighborhood. Your parents' house is trashed. But they don't tell you that they're coming home early and they walk in to see all of this. Isn't that an awkward moment? We see a major, major awkward moment as Jesus is saying this. Everybody's having this great time. Everybody's enjoying the, the holy wine and this good meal that's being provided. And all of a sudden, Jesus heals a man. He calls them to be humble, that they're acting like children fighting over positions. And, and, and then he says, hey, don't invite these people to the, pro, the, to the party. We don't ever know that Jesus laughed. I'm sure that he did, all right? But Scripture doesn't explain that. But Jesus had a way of dropping grenades on moments and making them extremely, extremely awkward. Don't invite these people. Invite the broken, the bruised, the sick, the lame. I kind of imagine that moment where everybody's like, listening to some rap song, turn down for what, or whatever that means, and all of a sudden it going, Err! and just kind of looking at him. Like, this is extremely strange. Like, who invited this guy? Right? So to try to get the party back on track, there's always that guy. Right? Right? There's always the guy. There's always the Will Ferrell in the room, all right? Like, everybody wants a friend like Will Ferrell, but you don't ever want to be Will Ferrell, okay? There's always that guy. There's always the guy that kind of, like, is sitting there, and you just imagine that it goes quiet at the party, and to kind of get the ball rolling, he's like, what does he say? Listen, verse 15. When one of those reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said... Uh, well, 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 blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. Yeah, let's... Freebird, you know, sweet home Alabama, play something else. Let's get the thing rolling. And what does Jesus do? He continues. 
he shares another parable. Look at what he says. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. Uh, please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. And the master said of the house, became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. All right? So in, the, in this parable, we, ri- we meet a rich man, all right? Um, we just kind of can infer that, that he's telling the city, is telling these people to come. Like, you're, you are invited to this party. This is a big, big deal. Now, according to the commentaries, this was very, very common um, to send out two invites to people. You would send out an invite, hey, you would probably send out somebody to tell it or write it on parchment or something, and, and they would go out and they would invite people. It was kind of like getting an RSVP. It was letting people know, hey, uh, we are going to be having a huge throwdown. Like, we're killing the fatted calf. We're going to have some, some lamb and some turkey bacon for us Jewish people. I mean, we're, we're having a good, good time together. You will not want to miss this. I mean, imagine, this is very different than you throwing a party for the Cats to win the national championship this year and, and going over to Walmart to get everything that you need for that party that day, isn't it? There had to be some time between when the invites went out and when the actual party went out. Because if you were going to have that fatted calf, you just didn't drive over to the fatted calf on the bypass, go in there and get, you know, hamburger meat filled with turkey bacon. Okay? You, you didn't do that. They had to have time. They had to let people know this is going to be taking place. They had to go pick out the animal. I'll take that one. You know, take it home. I mean, hang that sucker up. Skin it. You know, fillet it all out. Take care of it. Prepare the meat. They had to go out to their farms. They didn't go to the farmer's market over here and go, yep, I want that, 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 and that, and that, and that, and this. Okay, you had to go. You had to grow it. You had to pick it, bring it back to the house, prepare it. And so a lot of times what would happen is, is that historically they would make this announcement, they would invite people to come, and then they would have to do all this preparation that may last for days. And yet the people would be constantly worrying, or not wondering, but they would constantly be excited about, man, is today the day? Are we having the party today? We can't wait for the party. And so when all of the preparations were made, they would send out a servant again to say, hey guys, the party is today. Get ready. Meet at five. Dinner at Miles. This was a very huge deal. Being invited to this was a very, very big deal. And so the story um, goes on, right? It tells us that after everything was done, 
All right. After all, if you're in leadership and you plan for like meetings or different things or even parties and people don't show up, how frustrating is that? Right? It's extremely frustrating to do those things. And so the servant goes out to say, hey, party tonight. All right. We got a polka band over here. We got some, you know, and she's going to be singing your favorite American or Israel idol tunes or something. I mean, we've got the whole place is going to be rocking at my house tonight. And they're all excited. And they show up to a guy. And he's like, oh, man, I, I, I can't go. I've bought a field. I haven't seen it yet, but I bought it. And I need to go look at it. So the servant's like, man, what's, what's, what's going on here? So he goes to the next house, which is probably over here, <laughs> and he, he knocks on the door, right, or walks in, hey, the party's tonight, we've got celebrities coming, I mean, it's going to be an awesome thing, you will want to be there, today's the big day, and, and the person goes, well, um, 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 I've, I've bought, I, and this is very, it shows his wealth, because you for a person that had five oxen, it's just unbelievable during this time. So the, the guy's like, well, I, I've bought five oxen for you guys from Kentucky, cows. Um, if that helps you out any, give you a little minimum picture. He's bought five cows that he has not seen. And he goes like, I, I, I need to go test them out. I mean, who, who would buy such a thing and not test them out first? And so the, the last excuse is what, every man? I married a woman. I can't go. All right? Sorry, ladies. That's what the Bible says. All right? Two were about possessions. The last one was about, yeah, my wife, ball and chain, just married her, honeymoon's over, real world has started, she's got to have me take out the trash or something all day long, or she's going to wait till I finally sit down to do a project Let's paint the entire house tonight. All right? Anybody else? Not speaking too true to anybody, right? Laura's at home with a sick kid, so I, I, I'm free. All right. Sorry, honey. Um, so he uses what? He uses his wife as an excuse. Sounds a lot like Adam. I can't come. My woman won't let me. All right? We've got to sweep the dirt floors. All right? So we see these people are filled with excuses. People, I can't come. And I think that we can all tell here, and what even Jesus is saying, is that all of these are, are really lame excuses. The servant was faithful with his job. So he goes out and he goes and tells him, he's like, man, these people aren't coming. And so what does the rich man say? Go get all the poor people. Go get all the crippled. Go get the, 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 the low lives, the people that are ostracized from society and to bring them in. And what does the servant do? The Bible tells us that he's faithful in their job. He, he goes and, or she goes and, and gathers these people and the party begins to fill up. And yet, there is still space. So the master sends them out and says, hey, go, go to like I-65 
You know, go up towards Smith Grove, go, go down toward Franklin, go, go to the people at the rest homes and the rest stops and the, the people on the side of the road holding up signs. Go to people who maybe don't speak our language and, and say to them, hey, we're having a party tonight. All the food is prepared. It's completely free. Come over to my friend's house because, man, it's going to be awesome. And the Bible tells us that is what he was supposed to do. See, for a lot of us, the connection to the story can a little bit be lost in translation. I'll try to fill in the blanks as I possibly can. Um, the, the Pharisees, as they're hearing this, like we don't get the chuckles that are happening, but they're probably laughing at this story. They probably think that it's funny. And here's the reason why. They're, they're smirking they're they're thinking this is ridiculous why because in jewish culture this party would have been everything to these people you would have ingested everything in your life to be able to go to this great banquet they anticipated they couldn't wait i mean it's it's a free meal amongst poor people it's a free meal with, with people of like-mindedness. It's, it's a group of people who are gathering together and, and are looking together to, to in, in anticipation for what's going to be taking place here. So to the Pharisees, they're going, no one would miss this party. This is such a funny story, Jesus. No one would buy a piece of property without looking at it first. No one would buy five oxen without seeing if they would actually work well together. Now, there may be a man who would blame his wife, but he wouldn't blame her about coming to the party, right? What newlywed doesn't like a party? They think this is funny and that this is maybe even broken the ice even more. Like a child anticipating opening presents on Christmas, that's what the Pharisees would have been like thinking about these people as they anticipated the party. They think these people are idiots. No one would ever miss this party. And then Jesus concludes the parable with this very powerful statement. If you have your Bible, you may want to hold on to it with both hands. He changes his tenses here. He goes from speaking narrative to looking at these men in the eyes and saying this, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus is referring back to the earlier statement that the man says, well, everyone will be drinking bread, or eating, drink bread, that's not good. Eating bread, where? In the kingdom of God. And Jesus just looks at him and says, no, they won't. He just looks at the men sitting across the table from him and says, not, not everyone who professes with their lips are saved. 
Not, not everyone who believes that they are saved are saved. Just because you're a cultural believer doesn't mean that you will be saved and enter into heaven. Jesus was looking again at a group of religious men that probably had all of the Old Testament memorized. Even, you know, Zephaniah and Chewy Chewbacca and all of those weird ones that we can barely pronounce in the Old Testament. These men probably have all of those books of the Bible memorized. And we're like, man, I can't even remember King, you know, John 3.16 without saying it in King James language. These dudes knew their stuff. But I want you to get how serious this is. Jesus looks at those very men and he says, you are not in. You're not in. He shows up to church and he looks at a bunch of church people and he says, you are not in. You'll not make it to my banquet. You'll not make it though you think you have made it. Remember, Jesus is revealing in these parables something about Himself, something about the kingdom of God, and something about our lives in these stories. They were not merely hallmark movies with these classic endings Um, But they were meant to both encourage people who were truly saved and also cause personal evaluation, but it also caused major division amongst the religious people. So first, in conclusion, what does this reveal about Jesus? What does this story reveal about Jesus? What does it reveal about the person and work of Jesus? Jesus is saying something about himself here. He is saying, guess what, I... Like, I'm the rich dude throwing the party. And, like, I own all of the cattle. I, I own everything. This is the biggest party of eternity. And, and, and I'm the guy. I'm the wealthy master. Like, I, I am the rich guy who is sending out invitations I mean, think about it. Over and over and over, if you've read through the New Testament, you will see that Jesus in the gospel that Jesus preached, even as he hung on a cross, was this idea of come. He's constantly saying, come, follow after me. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Jesus is pointing to himself. He's saying, I am the one saying to this broke and dying world, come to me Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 come to me all who labor and heavy laden for I will give you rest Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1 says come everyone who thirst come to the waters and he who has no money come buy and eat come buy wine and and milk without money and without price in John chapter 14 verses 1 through 14 it says or I won't read all of that but 1 through 4 Uh, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If there were not so, would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go um, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you myself. That where I am, you may be also. 
Jesus in the New Testament, when he came, he was constantly telling the world, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I am here. I'm the God of this universe. I've created all things. I am the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and I'm, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting everyone. Come, come Follow me. Come to me. Come be saved through me. You need the redemption of my life. And in, in so those who come, I am preparing a great banquet for them. I am preparing a great place for them to live in harmony for all of eternity. The, the invitation that Jesus extended is the most important invitation that anyone on the planet can receive. Let us not forget, brothers and sisters, the depths, the heights the length that, that Jesus went to rescue, to redeem, and to prepare a place for us, and, and to realize that those of us who are apart from Him have no way to be reconciled with at Him. See, all of the test, Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen, is that first invite to these people. He's doing all of this stuff. Hey, he's, he's coming. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Prepare. This is, I need everything in the temple to look like this. And I mean, to the, the fine linens that were used, to what you wear, to how you dress, you need to prepare. For thousands of years, they were being told, prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves. Get ready for the party. Get ready for the party. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And then it came and they rejected him. They were filled with excuses. Jesus invites you and I. He invites this world to come. What does this story reveal to us about the kingdom of God? When we talk about the kingdom of God, we are talking about heaven, both heaven that is right now on this earth that is in some degree taking place, but also the heaven that is to come. We're also talking, when we talk about come to the kingdom of God, we're talking about salvation. When Jesus talks about this idea of the great banquet, he is talking about being reconciled to God through the person and work of Jesus. We should see glimpses in the here and now of what Jesus is talking about in and through this party. We'll see it completely at the culmination of all things when Jesus comes back to get his children. The, the great banquet here, and speaking of salvation, is that um, Jesus gave it all for this experience. If you remember last week, again, we were talking about giving, and Tim Keller has this great little statement. He was like, you know, we get so worked up about giving or, or a percentage of giving, and think about it. Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all. He gave every bit for the kingdom of God, for heaven, for the sacrifice. He was willing to say, man, this great banquet is worth me sacrificing everything. And instead of sacrificing an animal, he sacrificed himself. And he said, come, eat, drink, be merry, live off of me. Find your nutrition, your satisfaction, find your wealth, your happiness, your joy. Deny yourself. Get rid of those things. Sacrificially lay down those things and take me up. And if you do, you will never thirst again. We see the beautiful picture in the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verse 6 through 9. Listen to this prophetic statement. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, 
a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that was spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the reproach of His people will, be, um, will take away from all of the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is the Lord your God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in salvation. And we skip ahead to the book of Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It is granted to her to clothe herself in fine linen, uh, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for this For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What are we getting at? What is Jesus foretelling? Man, Jesus has been telling, man, there there is a meal, brothers and sisters, like none of us have ever had. There's, there's a design, there's a party, there's a celebration that you, we are yet to experience. And though we have these little glimpses of when, when you are spending time with friends and family, I think that's why we like Thanksgiving and Christmas is that, that meal time together. And you eat something that your grandmama made or your mama made and she does an excellent job. And you're just like, oh, this is so good. Anybody with me? All right. And you just think, man, this is awesome. And yet, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, like at our house, we've, we've gotten in this habit of eating these honey crisp apples. Have you ever eaten a honey crisp apple? Like, I'm not a big apple eater, but if you eat a honey crisp, brother, it is, it is an amazing fruit, all right? And it tastes so, so good. And yet, brothers and sisters, I, I want you to get this. Do not be satisfied with the tasting of that fruit. Do not be just simply satisfied with the, the coffee that you're having with brothers and sisters on this earth. Don't just be satisfied and be gluttonous with what you can experience even at the finest of restaurants on this planet. Because God is saying, man, even that stuff is tainted with sin. Even that stuff is broken. Even that stuff is sick and filled with sin. But one day, because He is the great God of all things, man, He has prepared a meal for us who have, whom He has saved and who He has sanctified, who He has filled with the, the Spirit of God, that one day we are going to sit down with brothers and sisters who are believers from past, present, and future all over the globe filled with males, females, and, and, and all the colors of of the Crayola box are going to be at this meal and it will be the best thing that you have ever tasted because it is without sin and we are with God and we are with the great witnesses whom God has put before us. That day, ladies and gentlemen, 
So may we experience it onto some level, and may we look forward to that kind of experience. I mean, the kind of experience, and this may be hairy for some of you, the kind of experience where, where wine is flowing and everyone keeps their clothes on and no one is throwing up the next day. All right? The kind of experience where, like, we, we even in, in eating this fantastic food for the first time go, it still doesn't compare. It still doesn't compare to him. This crown that we're wearing, right? You've got to send up lumber to heaven. You've got to make sure that you're doing a lot of good work so that you get a lot of crowns in heaven, a lot of jewels. And yet, what is the picture of a Revelation? Taking it off and laying it at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because, man, it's, it's awesome. But there's something more precious than gold. There is something more precious than diamonds and rubies and stacks of money. All right? And that is the person and work of Jesus. If you're not all about Jesus, but you're about Jesus' stuff, I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, man, you've, you've missed it. Come back to Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus Make him enough, because if he's enough, man, you'll give away your money. If he's enough, you'll, you'll open up your home. If, if he's enough, it doesn't matter your age. You'll, you'll adopt children. You'll have kids. You'll foster care kids. You'll be big brothers, big sisters. You'll give to the needy. You'll throw parties in your homes. You'll have parties at your church, inviting the broke and the lame and the blind. Who's at the party? Those people, those people are. Broken people, lame people, blind people, mute people could never repay what Jesus has done for them. And yes, is he talking about physically being that way? Yes, but I think there's a truth behind the truth, and the truth behind the truth is, is that because of sin, we are those broken, lame, sick, totally depraved people. And so the party that Jesus is talking to and the party that Jesus is inviting us to is for all of us powerless and, and lordless and broken, those who are without God and who have wasted a lot of time, effort, energy, resources in our lives. We have histories that we majorly regret and yet Jesus says, come. Those are the people, the broken person, not the person that thinks there's something. The broken person is, is who's eating at my table. Now, what does this reveal about us? Write this one down. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone in this room that can hear my voice, we are either the religious people full of excuses, or we are the servant that faithfully invites others to the banquet. We are either religious people full of excuses, or we are the servant that faithfully invites others to the banquet. First, let's look how we are like, or could be like, the religious people. Much like the Pharisees, ladies and gentlemen, we can know a lot. We can intellectually agree we can be moral. I can ask you the baptism questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross the third day and was resurrected? 
Yes. Is he in your heart? Yes. You could say yes to all of those things. And Jesus is saying, and not know me. And me not know you. You can have bookshelves filled with re- religious paraphernalia. You can have all the t-shirts. You can have things memorized. Your, your daddy can be a, a preacher. You can be married to a preacher. Your kids can, can be just little you know, angels levitating through rooms. And yet you not know Jesus. What's been interesting in my conversations with Mark Phillips is Mark's difficulty of being here right now. And I was sharing with him some of my struggles, and, and he goes, man, I, I don't know if this is encouragement, but I, I, I want you to know something, Eric. What you do, what pastors do in America is much harder than what I do. I'm thinking, brother, you got ISIS. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, they'll, they'll burn down our churches. They'll take our lives. But the hardest thing is because even from a confessional, confession of a pastor, is a lot of times I feel like I'm beating a wall in your lives. It's like, man, why am I doing this? Like, we're just preaching in vain here. We're, we're saying this stuff, we're producing this stuff, we're writing more books about Jesus than ever. We've got churches going up all over the place, man, who come here day in and day out. And it's like, man, well, where, what is taking place? And, and, and I think, not with everyone, but the, the, the issue is, is that we're preaching to a bunch of Pharisee religious people who have culturally embraced all of this and have missed the gospel. Brothers, sisters, let it not be us. Stop with excuses. All of us. Man, if I have time, then I'll go to a missional community group. If I have time, if it works into my schedule, I'll be of a part of, on a Sunday morning. If I have time, then, then I'll covenant to be with a group of people. If I have time, I'll share the gospel. If somebody randomly comes up on the street and goes, man, I see that halo around your head. Will you share the gospel with me? Then I'll finally share the gospel. Guess what? It's not going to happen. It's not the way it's supposed to happen. Jesus has called us to Put away the excuses of why we don't pray, don't serve. We'll ask all of those things. We'll sing songs like I surrender all and, and not. And it not be true. We're just singing lies. Philip Ryken said this, many people treat Jesus the same way today. They have been invited to receive the gift of eternal life by trusting in the cross in an empty tomb, yet they will not come. Some of them say they will, or, or that they have, but they never do. They offer the same lame excuses that people made in the parable. God is, is not as important to them as their own interests. They're too busy pursuing earthly entertainments. They're tied up with commitments at work. They have family and friends that, that pull them away from church. They say they do not have time for God, at least right now. But whatever excuses they come up with, the, the, they, the real reason for their rude rejection is they simply will not come to Christ. Have you come to the banquet by putting your faith in Jesus? Perhaps you were in a church already. Maybe you grew up in a church as a covenant child. 
But have you come to Jesus for salvation? If not, then what is your excuse? People always have some reason or another for staying away from Jesus, but what business could possibly be more important than you making sure that you have eternal life? What property could be more valuable um, to have than a title to heaven? And what relationship could be more important than the one you can have with God who made you and sent His Son to die for your sins? If all you have to offer to God is your excuses, they will sound all too flimsy at the final judgment when the only people who sit down at God's great banquet are the people who actually came to Christ. No excuses. No excuse. How should we be like the servant? What does the servant do? The rich man says, hey, first thing I want you to do is I want you to go to the poor, the lame, the broken. Our responsibility, if you truly are a brother and sister in Christ, is that we are supposed to be the faithful servant. We're, we're to be the ones that, that go. Imagine Jesus looking around the table, and for the most part, everyone is the same. Everyone's the same color. Everyone speaks the same language. Everyone shops at the same robe store in the mall or buys their sandals at Nats. I don't know. You, you get the picture that everyone is kind of this cookie-cutter image of everyone sitting around them. If anyone should have excuses, shouldn't it be the lame, the blind, and the mute? But what does this story tell us? The ones that should be filled with excuses are the ones that come. Let me just speak into this quickly. Did you know that most parents who have a child with special needs don't go to church? too hard why bring your child who yells and screams out or he's in a wheelchair or makes weird noises or gets up and walks around why go to church it's we looked at we get looked at people stare we're distracting people all right? And even if people don't stare, we, we get in our minds as kids, as parents with kids with special needs, like, we're going to distract from what's taking place. This is really awkward. I mean, uh, think about it. I mean, if, if, if a person today was, was deaf, could we help them today? Unless they're really good at reading my big lips, right? If somebody was blind today, would we, would we help them in? Would we sit with them? What if they were different? Or, 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 or what if they smelled? Or, or what if they were poor? Or, or, or whatever these issues were. These, are, I think, are both physical things that Jesus is speaking about. And yes, simultaneously, they are also about a spiritual need that, that rests within these people. Are, are we okay with the empty seats next to us? They don't come because we don't invite them. Do your research. 
It's like we've become complacent. We're like the Pharisees. It's like, man, look, we, we've, we've got our little group. This is happy. This is, this is somewhat easy. We kind of all shop, you know, shop at Gap. This is cool. This is awesome. We're real manila in the room today. Jesus is speaking into all of those things, people. These aren't, man, great fortune cookies. These are we need to be rocked to the core. Mission Church, do we care? Where are the homeless people going to church today? Where, where are the people of different color going to church today? And please don't tell me the answer is, is putting up a, an African-American church across the street so all the black people can go there. Or, or putting up a Hispanic church down the street so all the Hispanic people can go there. And all the, the whiteies can come here and these people can go there. Isn't there enough separation and segregation that that should not be taking place in the kingdom of God? Because I don't think that's what happens heaven's going to be like and Jesus is looking at a bunch of people who who know all of the stuff and he's saying you're missing it sometimes I feel as mission church that we're waiting for a bunch of people from other churches to finally show up to church here so that we can actually get some traction and that's not what God's called us to do like Jesus he has called us to seek and save the lost to go after to invite in. But I'm going to tell you, if you invite somebody in and we treat them poorly, they ain't staying. We treat them with grace. Tim Keller says, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. That's what Mission Church is called to be. Some of you have Pay attention to, I've really been resting on this illustration of there, there are churches that are, are combine churches. Have you ever been in a John Deere combine? That's farming, okay? But it's a whole new level of farming. CD player, air conditioning, bouncy seat, right? And there is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. Thank God for, for combine churches out there, brothers and sisters, but there is also the guy like me, I, do a, I have a, a garden, plan on doing it again this year, and I'm out there and I don't have a combine. I've got a hoe. I got a shovel. I got a daughter. Pick up them rocks. They got a hoe. And, and, and thankfully, God uses both of those. Both are farming. Both can produce Fruit and a church plant, ladies and gentlemen, is, is putting your hand to a hoe. But we're living a culture that says only a combine works, and it doesn't. Celebrate our combine, brothers and sisters. Celebrate those of us who have our hands to the plow. But I want you to know if you're, if you're going to be a part of Mission Church, you got to understand that that's the kind of place that we are. There's nothing romantic about it, there's nothing flashy about it. It's a labor-intensive work, and yet I believe for the sake of the kingdom of God, it is a well, well investment. Why? Because we do not want to become a, a min, uh, uh, just a museum and have a hall of, of glory in our church. Those things really exist in churches. 
They put up your picture and they say, man, these people are, are a memorial walkway. Man, these people did it. Man, no, Jesus has done it. Now, let's not become complacent and fall in love with the religiosity and traditionalism that would cause us to love on each other and forget that we live in a lost and dying world. We get to love on each other and, and Jesus for all of eternity. Right now, it's work time. It's hand to the plow. It's dig. It's invite. It's to not become complacent with, with empty chairs or, or, or people in your missional community groups that, that are just kind of filled with excuses are, are not there, but each week there should be a party celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and every midweek there should be a celebration in our homes filled with all different types of people. Man, that's the type of church I want to be a part of. How about you? That's the kind of place I want to go. That's the kind of place. Later he sends them out and he says, man, there's still some more room. There's still some more empty seats. What do you want me to do? And what does the rich man, what's the master say? Go further out. See, ladies and gentlemen, you get these people and they harp on foreign mission, missions and they say things like, man, why are you so concerned about what's going on in Haiti or in Africa? What, what happens? Why, why are you so caught up into what's going on over there when, when, when we've got all these lost people here? And yet, what do we see in the Bible? It's both and, not either or. We should be concerned as much today about what's going on in, in Niger as, as we are about what's going on in Nashville. We should be concerned. Those are lost people. It's, it's uh, you know, we got to give our lives to this. I, I don't know. It's worth it. It's worth it. Every dime. Every ounce of time. Everything that this church is about is that. And man, put your hands to the plow. Send out those invitations. Throw a party. And man, if, if, if you want to have a neighborhood party at your, at your crib, and man, you can't afford the fatted calf, let us know. We will help. We will show up. Do not give up. C continue. Per, you know, persevere, brothers and sisters. Continue to dig. Continue to invite Continue to get to know the lost. And it, it may be slow growth, but it will be glorious growth. May we be a church. It is a community. But may we never become a closed one, but an open one that stewards everything about this church towards seeing the things and seeing that banquet table filled with people of every tribe and every nation and every color whom Jesus has saved through our other brothers and sisters, but also through Mission Church. I don't know what else to do but to pray. Because I know the only thing that can change every one of you in this room, including myself, is Jesus. Put your hands to the plow. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for this opportunity, Lord, to worship you. And
Lord, please move.